Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the VCM Quick Strike for Monday, November 7th, 2022. Happy Monday and happy election week here in the United States. Tomorrow is election day. Of course, it is the midterms, which is really a term that is the off year between presidential election years. This particular midterm has generated a lot of discussion and excitement because of the divided nature of the United States politically. And of course, adding into that have been allegations for many years of improper election processes or hacking in or fraud or those sorts of things. So in response to that, the National Guard will be ready to offer assistance through their cybersecurity experts in 14 states, according to National Guard officials. The states involved in this are North Carolina, Arizona, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, New Mexico, New York, Washington, and West Virginia. This is, according to the National Guard, a part of a wider effort to ensure that these midterms are secure from cybersecurity threats, which has loomed, in, as I said, in large in recent years, and they say particularly since the Russian interference operations in 2016. One thing I did not know is that overall, quote, there are 38 cyber units within the National Guard as a whole, consisting of over 2,200 personnel that provide support to state and local officials. I did not know that. Here's an interesting supply chain issue. This comes from Security Week. Cyber attack causes trains to stop in Denmark. Trains stopped in Denmark on Saturday as a result of a cyber attack. The article goes on to say that the incident shows how an attack on a third-party IT service provider could result in significant disruption in the physical world. What actually happened here, the third party is a company called Supio. I think I'm pronouncing that right. They provide enterprise asset management solutions to railway companies and some other infrastructure companies. Specifically, they provide a mobile application, quote, that train drivers use to access critical operational information, such as speed limits and information on work being done to the railroad. So it sounds like that they were affected by a ransomware attack, although that's just speculation at this point in time. Something happened that caused them to shut down their servers. And when they did, the Supio application stopped working and the drivers were forced to stop their trains, according to the immediate report. So when I first saw this, I was thinking that once they shut down the servers, the train suddenly couldn't run like it was a fail-safe type deal. But apparently this seems to have exceeded some sort of safety parameter and without any sort of other information to come in, any sort of backup BC plan, the trains had to stop. So not only is a lesson on third-party IT service providers affecting the physical world, it's also a lesson on business continuity planning. Well, it's that time of the year again when predictions for next year for cybersecurity come out. And for the most part, it seems like the predictions are pretty much always the same. It's almost like a, well, that's pretty much obvious what you just said. But sometimes there's something new or something really insightful. This one is from Proofpoint, and I'm just going to read through their seven or so predictions, maybe opine on a couple. Global pressures will exasperate systematic, systemic risk, rather, as the economic downturn and physical conflicts create ripple effects through the entire ecosystem. I think that's fairly obvious. We've seen some of that as far as 
the geopolitical issues, particularly with Russia, Ukraine, talked about that a lot. And of course, whenever you have an economic downturn, that creates the demand to perhaps earn capital through another way. Usually in this case, what I'm talking about is through nefarious activities. The commercialization commercialization of hacking tools, number two, on the dark web, increase cybercrime. Well, I think that's been happening for a while. Number three, data theft will become part of every successful ransomware attack as threat actors' business models move to double extortion schemes. I think this has already happened as well, too. We've talked about the shift that really it's less about the encryption now with ransomware and more about the extortion portion, about getting the ransom so that sensitive data is not released. Number four, MFA bypass attacks will grow as cyber criminals explore new avenues for breaching defenses and exploiting weaknesses in human behavior. Now, this is a good one. And we've seen a growth in this with MFA fatigue. I'm going to talk about that with another article in just a moment. I think that, yes, they're going to have to try to continue to knock on the door and figure out other ways around MFA, if only for the point that MFA is now so much in use. You've kind of almost closed the door on sensitive depositories and systems that are not MFA protected. Anyone's out there that are still in that zone probably have some issues. Um, Number five talks about supply chain. We just talked about that with regards to the train issue. And I think that that's very, very um, spot on here, that we're going to see that more in ways that we might not have thought about before. And again, I get back to that Denmark train. I never really thought about having to stop a train because of a third party cyber attack. Number six, and this one I agree with too, this is really disturbing. Deep fake technology will play a more prominent role in cyber attacks, increasing the risk of identity fraud, financial deception, and disinformation. As a side note here, Scott Adams, he has on occasion posted some deep fakes of himself. Apparently he's very much interested in this. For those of you who don't know Scott Adams, his um, claim to fame is the creator of the Dilbert comic strip. And I remember the last one that he posted, it really sounded, it was hard to discern that it was a deep fake. Um, The discussion, the head movements, they were really coming along. So I agree with that one. Number seven, the growing regulatory scrutiny at the board level will further shift the CISO's role and increase the board's expectations and requirements. I think that this has been on the list of things for the last 10, 15 years at least. But it's a good article. And the next one kind of kind of builds off of that last one. From the record, FTC seeks action against Drizzly and its CEO for cybersecurity failures. Apparently, there was a 2020 breach for Drizzly, which is an alcohol delivery service that affected 2.5 million consumers. And Drizzly is sanctioning not only the company, but the CEO itself. Quote, the 2020 breach occurred due to a failure to manage credentials, one the company should have already been prepared for due to a similar failure in 2018. The complaint noted that the company had hired senior executives across a wide variety of functions, including finance, legal, marketing, retail, human resources, product, and analytics, but failed to hire a senior executive responsible for the security of consumers' personal information. Now, what makes this interesting is that the FTC is sanctioning the CEO personally as well. 
According to the article, and I would agree, this appears to signal a desire to hold executive executives personally accountable for data security failures. This is an important thing. That's why we say when we engage as a virtual CISO, we say that we need to have a bi-directional communication with the executives and the board of directors, if at all possible. Sometimes that can come through um, some sort of a board appointed committee. The point being is that you can't kind of approach information security threats with the head in the sand methodology. You can't ignore it. And now they're starting to call folks, executives out on that. And then finally, from the register, there's an interesting article on multi-factor authentication fatigue. We've talked about that before, that it was involved in the attack against a few organizations recently, including, if I remember correctly, Microsoft and Uber and Cisco, in fact. And I think we talked about all of them here. To refresh, uh, rather, multi-factor fatigue is when you have some sort of a MFA client that basically you're given the answer of yes or no, not to put in a number per se, but just a yes or no to make it very easy to go in. And it's not to say that this multi-factor fatigue doesn't occur with authentications that use a code that come across a one-time password code or pin if you want. But the whole point is that the bad guys will bang against the door and continue to have those sent to the real owner of the account until the real owner says, look, I I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just going to hit yes because I'm tired of my phone blowing up. And then, of course, the bad guys are in. Now, this is an awareness thing. And believe it or not, this kind of ties into the last two articles about the board responsibility. I'm going to talk more about that in 30 seconds. At one point, about midway or so through my career, I was asked by the president of the organization, quote, are we secure? Now, I was new to the organization. I was just meeting the president for the first time and, of course, was a little bit intimidated, but certainly didn't want to give the wrong answer. So I said, yes, sir, we are secure. I'd been there a week. I would have had no idea of knowing the exact state of the security there at that point in time. It's just impossible as a security leader to know that. And besides, giving that sort of an answer in any case, shape, or form is irresponsible and incorrect. You just cannot know because secure means a lot different things to different people. It's risk management. It's how much risk are you going to accept? So it's a very nuanced type of response. But a lot of times executives, they don't want to hear that. They just want to hear, yes, sir. Yes, sir, it's secure. I'm not saying that in this particular case, that executive wanted to hear that from me. I later went to him and said, gave him a better answer that, well, from what I can tell, I don't see any major issues right now, and but we're looking through and going to do a risk assessment and, and so forth. And he said, no, I understood what you said but back there. I, I He got it. So I got out of that one okay. But the point being is that a lot of executives aren't like that. They sort of like poo-poo. They see it as a cost of doing business. You get a fine, that's fine. Um, We talked about that last week, if I remember correctly, with the Optus uh, prompted um, changes in regulations in Australia that the fines that 
they had in place beforehand were so low, they were considered a cost of doing business. So instead of putting in the controls to bolster the security program, the executives are just like, well, you know what, if we get fined, we get fined. I have to admit sometimes that I have taken that attitude with regards to exceeding the speed limit. Now, I haven't gotten a speeding ticket in probably 15 plus years, but that's not to say I don't drive the speed limit. And I figure, well, it's like, okay, if I get a ticket for going five or six miles over, that's a cost of driving. I'm not really that worried about it. But if the speeding ticket was 10 times as much, well, then I probably would be staying right at the speed limit because of that pushback. Now, as far as executives go, they need to understand and they need to have that information to make risk-informed decisions. Now, in the case of uh, the last one, the alcohol deliverer, Drizzly, I think it was, the CEO totally ignored the problem. They didn't have an opportunity to have a risk-informed discussion and decision-making process because they didn't have a security officer in place. And it's pretty clear that they had placed no value on that from a business perspective because as the as the complaint says, well, they hired executives in all these other fields but wouldn't even talk about information security. So it's important. What's the one thing that I say that is, in my opinion, the most important role of the chief information security officer or the virtual chief information security officer, it is to provide the board and the C-suite with sufficient and necessary and complete information on the threat environment so that they can make risk-informed decisions. It's imperative. It's, it's, it's totally needed. Now, of course, sometimes you can't afford a full-time CISO. That's where the virtual CISO field comes in. And so long as you have a virtual CISO that actually understands risk management, instead of being more of a technical type of resource, then you can convey the threat environment and the risk environment so that they can make those risk-informed decisions. It's critically important. And so if you're a small and mid-sized business right now and you have not thought about that, or you sort of like been thinking, well, I'm too small, or I've never gotten hit, or it's not going to be a big deal, you need that expertise in there, whether it be a full-time or a part-time CISO in some way, shape, or form. You it's just, that's one of those predictions from Proofpoint that I agree with. Although it's been in there all this time, I'm going to take it a step further and say, now there's going to be more sanctions against the C-suite. So watch out. And that's it for today. We hope that you're going to join us tomorrow. Got a great conversation coming up with Jake Williams. He is a cybersecurity manager and aspiring CISO. And then on Wednesday, we continue our special series from the retreat conference from Montreal College that was recorded in September. We've got Rob Boker. He is the sales director at Easy DMARC, and he talks about email spoofing, why it's bad, and what you can do to prevent that from happening and being a threat to your organization. Hope you can join us. And until then, stay secure. Mm-hmm.